So I've never really been a big like New Year's resolution guy. Uh, just kind of, you know, if I need to change something, I'll just change it now instead. But I decided I might try that this year. And so I asked my family for some suggestions. And so um, I'd said, just send me a text with your suggestions. So well, I've received 48 texts, um, three of which I'm pretty sure are from my dogs. So uh, clearly I remain a significant work in progress. But um, our scripture today, uh, it comes from uh, Paul's epistle to, to the Colossians, the church at Colossae, and he's encouraging us to take on some new things, to do some new things. So, but first, I, I want to remind you um, that there, are, among scholars, there are seven undisputed books that were written by Paul. And those are 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians, Galatians, Ephesians, Romans, and Philemon. So scholars in general just say, yes, all of these were written by Paul. The other ones that have been attributed to Paul um, may have been written by his followers. Uh, now, we don't really know who they were written by, but the style is different than the what the original Pauline texts are, those undisputed ones. Um, and it's all, in all likelihood, it was probably written by one of his followers. Now, for us, that's just horrendous. It's fraud. I mean, that's where our mind goes to, right? Oh, they're lying to us. Well, back then, it was a very normal thing for people to write in the name of their master, write in the name of whom it is that they are following. So, um, as we read this text, you know, it may not have been exactly Paul that wrote this, uh, but uh, it's a part of our canon. It's a part of Holy Scripture, and it has value for us today. So let's look at this passage from Colossians 3, 12 through 17. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I don't know about you, but the opening of this gives me a little bit of trouble. The author is writing to, to us, and he says, holy and beloved. Beloved, I'm good with. I mean, I like the idea of being beloved, right? I mean, who doesn't want to be beloved? I mean, especially uh, by God. 
which is the implication here, is that we are the beloved of God. I really like that, and I'm like, woo! But then you get to this part, holy. I don't know about you, but if anybody points at me and says anything about holy, I'm looking for the guy behind me because it sure can be me. I struggle with that. But, but then I always have to catch myself with this understanding that holy really just means set apart. And, and this reminds me that we are to be different than the rest of the world. I mean, that's really what it means to be holy, is that we are to be set apart and not be like everybody else in the world. So I want to talk about grace. I think John Wesley's understanding of grace is a great lens through which to view what it is this author is calling us to be. Now, John Wesley had sort of a unique understanding of grace. For, for, for a Wesley and for us Methodists, there's really three basic forms of grace. The first is provenient grace. The second is justifying grace. And the third is sanctifying grace. Now, justifying grace and sanctifying grace, uh, those, those were not unique concepts. Even the early church fathers talked about justifying grace. That's the grace that comes in that moment that you realize that you are a sinner, you cannot save yourself, and it's only through Jesus that you can be saved. That's what justifying grace is. Sanctifying grace is, and, and we have Methodists have a little bit unique spin on that. For us, that is your holy walk with Jesus. It's you becoming a little more Christ-like. And, and we understand that, you know, that truth, truthfully, for most of us, that sort of ebbs and flows, right? Sometimes we're really doing well on that path towards holiness, more Christ-likeness, and sometimes we, we fall on our face, but we get back up. And so that's sort of, the, sort of the unique spin on sanctifying grace that Wesley brought. But what was new is this idea of provenient grace. This is a level of great grace in which God is pursuing you all the time. The idea is since the moment you were conceived, God loves you. God is in constant pursuit of a relationship with you. Even if you don't know it, even if you want to deny it, God is still chasing after you to have a relationship with you. Now, I spent a whole bunch of dollars going to seminary, and I learned some really big $5 words like pneumatology and Christology and whole bunch of other ones that I don't remember. But, but one of the things that stuck with me from a professor in seminary is an understanding of provenient grace. And this very astute, wise professor told us this, provenient grace is like chips and hot sauce at a Mexican restaurant. Stay with me now. It really works. Think about it. You walk into a Mexican restaurant, 
what shows up without you asking? Chips and hot sauce. And, you know, it might be built into your bill, but they don't charge you for chips and hot sauce. It's free. And you know what else? If you've got a good waiter, it just keeps coming. And if you're anything like the Tyson family, you fill up on the free stuff before you get to the stuff you paid for, right? But God's prevenient grace is exactly that. It's there whether you ask for it or not. And it's free, and it never stops. It's exactly what prevenient grace is. So God spends your lifetime offering you this grace, bringing it to you all the time. Just like the chips and hot sauce, nobody can make you eat it. You have to choose to eat the offering that the Mexican restaurant brings you, the chips and salsa, right? Maybe your spouse can cajole you into it, but you have to physically do it. You have to decide, I'm going to eat that. And that is true of God's grace. God's grace is there. God's grace is there for everyone. I mean, Jesus died for the world. And for us to receive that grace, we have to say yes. I hope you've said yes to this gift of grace. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus sitting on the table, waiting for you to say yes to. Now, going back to our text, we're called to be holy, set apart, different than the rest of the world. We, we should be different than Joe Schmo that we run into in Walmart. And, and the opening verse of this tells us what we should be clothed with. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I mean, that's what a follower of Jesus should look like. And let me be clear, make sure you understand this. Meekness is not like meek as a mouse, like over here all scared. The way you understand meekness in Scripture is obedient. You are obedient to what God is calling you to do. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That's what we as followers of Jesus should look like. Those are the clothes that we should be wearing for the world to see. And as I read through that list, patience is always there for me. I am always working on patience. Everything could be way faster for me. So that's something I'm forever working on. But as I read that list, the one that stood out for me was humility. 
And really, as I understood that, there's really two ways that, that I need to work humility into my life. And the first is the recognition is I can do nothing without God. As awesome as I think I am, the very next breath I draw is a gift from God. Anything I do in the world that is good is from God. It's not from me, Mike Tyson, because I'm awesome. It's from God. And in 2021, I'm going to be more mindful of that. Everything comes from God. And the other aspect of more humility in my life comes from the idea that Christ died for everyone. Not one single person is less worthy of God's grace than you or me. I mean, I don't know if you ever find yourself being like that tax collector in the Bible, saying, oh Lord, thank God I'm not like them. So in 2021, I am going to be more mindful that I am no better than anyone else. I'm going to be mindful that no one is any more or less deserving of God's grace than anyone else. Even the deepest, darkest, most sinful soul can be saved through the grace of Jesus Christ. Say that again. Even the deepest, darkest, most sinful soul can be saved through the grace of Jesus Christ. And then I read in verse 15, this stands out to me. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. I don't know, my 2020 has not had a lot of peace in it. I've tried. But there's been a lot of anxiety, some anger that things are the way they are, some frustration. The peace of Christ has not been as much of my heart as I wish it were. And I like this, this phrase, let the peace of Christ rule your heart. That, that word rule in Greek can also be translated as umpire which I really like because I'm a baseball guy. But what does an umpire do? The umpire makes decisions between in or out, ball or strike, or good or bad, called or not called. I love this idea of letting Jesus be the umpire of your heart. I mean, if you really let Jesus make the decisions about what you should do and not do, you're going to come out on the winning end all the time. Because if you're letting Jesus rule, umpire your heart, then the right guy 
is making decisions. This text challenges us to worship God, to be thankful for all that God has given us, all that God is doing and has done for us. It calls us to worship God. That's what they're saying when we should sing hymns and spiritual psalms. We should worship God. We should give thanks to God for all that God has done for us. And look, corporate worship, whether it's in person or online, I think that's probably the best way to worship God. But it's not the only way. You can worship God in your car. You can worship God in your bed at night before you go to sleep. There's all kinds of ways that we can be in a a form of constant worship, of thankfulness for all that God has done for us. So as we begin a new year, which we can clearly see already, the challenges of 2020 have not magically gone away because it's 2021. I want to challenge you to worship God. Make a commitment to be in worship, whether it's online or in person, whatever is comfortable for you in 2021. But make a commitment to worship God, both corporately and with your life with the way you live your life. I want to encourage you to put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That's how people will know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ when you display those characters. Allow Christ to rule your heart. Let the peace of Christ wash over all that you do and allow Jesus to be the umpire of your life. Do those things and you will stand out. You will be different from the world for you are holy and beloved of God. Let us pray. Gracious God, that we are worthy of your love, that we are worthy of your provenient grace, we stand amazed and grateful. Father, help us to put on these things that Scripture encourages us to wear. Help us to walk closer with you in the coming year. Help us to look different from the world as we move forward. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.